in the weekend where Verstappen equals the record of nine wins in a row at his home Grand Prix. We evaluate that very weekend as well as our forecast prediction scores at the Forecast F1 podcast. With this episode by my side, well, not literally by my side because we're thousands of miles apart, but I have Samantha Horvat. Yes, thousands of miles away, but uh, but here and what a weekend it was. Absolutely. I mean, th- this today we experienced the race and I truly don't think that my head is completely screwed on <laughs> after the chaos of what ensued. Yeah, I feel like we have a lot of material to talk about. That's right. So this week's guest on our episode is Maeve, founder of the Final Corner TikTok and Instagram page. Great to have you on. How was your weekend? My weekend was definitely, I feel like, chaotic, as Samantha said. Um, First of all, thank you both for having me on. Very excited to discuss this race. I feel like today alone felt like three different races, so definitely a lot of material to talk about. That's a good way to describe things, really, really. I I think you're uh, you're located in California at the moment, is that right? Yes, I just moved uh, from the East Coast of the U.S. to the West Coast of the U.S. Wow. So that was a bit of an early race for you, wasn't it? 6 a.m. And the next few races, I think, are 6 and 5 a.m. So I got a few uh, early weekends ahead of me. Ouch. Yes. <laughs> we set thousands of miles apart, but Sam, who do you think is closer to me, if you or me? Oh, I'm going to say you. I'm going to say no, you. it's you, actually. Is it's it actually really? you. So you're, yeah, oh, you're, wow. you're 4,000 kilometers apart and <laughs> I'm 5,000. I checked it because I was curious about that. <laughs> what were you doing? Just Very Googling precise. <laughs> but rather than talking about distances, let's uh, start and talk a little bit about, uh, about this weekend. So, Sam, do you have any track-specific um, things that you want to mention about Zandvoort? We'll, we'll discuss a little bit about it. I mean, there is two DRS zones. There's 14 turns on the track. And there was over 305,000 people in attendance. It was completely sold out for the weekend. Although we can't say we're surprised. It's, it's, the energy is absolutely electric uh, there at the Dutch Grand Prix. And I will mention this, though. The track itself is not usually a track where you see a lot of overtaking. However, we'll discuss this later. There clearly was a lot of that. So. True. Uh, there were no real moderations to the to the track, but I did hear that after last year's race, um, there were a couple of complaints on some of the bumps. So apparently they scraped some parts of the circuit to make it less bumpy, or at least they tried to. I don't think that was officially mentioned, but they did do that. Um, and besides the track, uh, what about the teams? What about the updates? Well, the two teams that seemed to have the most significant upgrades was Mercedes and more notably Aston Martin, which we could see that upgrade itself definitely played a huge part in at least Alonso's performance over the weekend. Uh, Primarily the floor body, I think, was the most significant upgrade that came from them, Uh, but really just those two teams. And I think for Mercedes, this was the second uh, significant upgrade that we're seeing in the season. Did you see that little kink that they had at the back of the Aston Martin where during, I don't know, Maeve, did you see that with the first, I think it was only with the, or maybe both three practice sessions on, on Friday uh, where they had a lot of trouble with the back jackman trying to uh, jack up the car with that little thing sticking out and they couldn't <laughs> like do it really fast so they took it off. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that something like that could just affect like a pit stop um and that you need to take that into consideration just 
I don't know, one of the many crazy aspects of Formula One being so dynamic. So mentioning the free practice sessions, we had two dry sessions on the Friday and we had a wet session on Saturday morning or end of the morning where we saw a lot of slipping and sliding with a few red flags after crashes of Magnussen and Joe. But I think the main event to talk about was the crash of, well, I was going to say between Piastri and Ricardo, but they didn't even really crash into each other. There were separate crashes, um, but uh, but that resulted in, um, yeah, well, in something very sad. Um, Maeve, what uh, what are your thoughts on 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 that crash or the the Ricardo uh, on Ricardo breaking his wrist or was it his yeah. wrist or was it the bone in his hand? That's a good question. I actually don't know if it was. I think it was a bone in his hand, but I'm actually not certain. I think they were saying wrist initially, and then they were talking about a spe- some specific bone. Um, that was so unfortunate to see. I'm personally a huge Daniel Ricardo fan, so I was excited that he was back racing. I was excited to see kind of how he was going to perform after the summer break, getting back into the car, and then to see him, you know, be out just after free practice session um, was such a bummer. I was very disappointed. I guess in a certain way, Danny is even lucky that he got those two last races before the end of the summer break. I mean, imagine this happening when it's your first race back yeah. into F1. It's a I very mean, good but point. But it was, it was very this, this fortunate. And I feel like, um, yeah, I mean, in the end, uh, Piastri crashing out. And, and I think Ricardo just saw him late and then decided to, to hit the wall rather than Piastri, which was a, a, a good decision on his part, but uh, very unfortunate. I think problem was he was still holding his steering wheel while his wheels hit the wall. So that caused a, a snap at the steering wheel and, and that's what caused uh, the injury. Yeah, I think also just that same day he went to the hospital and then I, I it was it was quite heartbreaking to see him have to walk back through the paddock with a cast on, facing all of the media. Uh, I mean, that's that must have really stung. Um, I believe that he just uh, made mention shortly after the race that he has come out of surgery. So now he is focused on the road to recovery. And I'm pretty sure they mentioned with, with the respect to an injury like that, that it could take uh, roughly a month uh, to be able mm. to recover. However, we've seen Stroll uh, do some pretty uh, quick recovery time so you never know you never know what what the future holds but i agree with both of you i think that it was incredibly heartbreaking basic also to see like his trajectory over the last several years has just been filled with a lot of unfortunate events and circumstances and then to have that happen and also to have it happen with a mclaren that's in front of you i mean that probably is is just adds insult to injury at this point yeah, the person who took his seat. I didn't even think about that initially. That is a bit yeah. ironic. Yeah, it, it, the but two I mean, there and then mm-hmm. the guy from New Zealand taking his place. How do how do we feel about that? Like um, Alpha Tauri going for for Liam Lawson to to take his seat. I think it was interesting to see him replace. I mean, we we have to see what he does. I think overall this weekend, when it comes to not necessarily qualifying, but the fact that he had. He, he didn't even really have an opportunity when the race started for him to have previous experience in the car on slicks. And he managed to come out and I believe finish in 13th. So that that's an overall pretty solid result on your first weekend in F1. And what a weekend to, to, re, to actually join. 
Yeah, and we'll I know we'll speak more about the race um later, but I think the fact that he beat Yuki um on his debut, like the per- his, the person on his team was pretty impressive. I I took that to be a pretty good indicator for for Liam. True. Well, there were some circumstances, but you're right. I mean, neither De Vries or Ricardo was able to do that on their first race. So, um, so yeah, I, I do think Tsunoda was slightly unlucky during the race. But then again, yeah, finishing positions are finishing positions. And, and Lawson finished, uh, I think, three or four places ahead of him. So, yeah, that's right. That's that's not a bad first day at the office. All right. Is there anything else that you took out of practice that you would want to mention, Anton? No, I think it's uh, it's time to talk a little bit about qualifying, Sam. Yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm so excited to talk about the race, let alone qualifying, but let, we have to start with qualifying. <laughs> yeah, let's do things in order. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so let's, let's start first of all with just simply who secured pole, Max, of course. Um, but let's actually go back into Q1 and discuss that. Uh, we saw, unfortunately, both Alfa Romeos out in Q1. What were your thoughts when it came to Joe? Let's start with you, Maeve. Yeah, so we saw Joe out in Q1. I think uh, he had some sort of spinoff that that caused that. But thinking about him is definitely top of mind because right as we went into the race weekend, there were some rumors about his contract and the fact that it might not get renewed with Alfa Romeo for next year. I think there were some rumors that they don't have enough budget for him, which is kind of surprising. I think Bottas is getting paid about $10 million. uh, And I think Joe's contract is for about 500,000. So I wouldn't say that his uh, contract is breaking the bank, but did either of you have any thoughts about his, the contract rumors, him renewing for Alfa Romeo? Is he at risk? Well, I think both Sam and I are, secret fans of joe in a certain way <laughs> and to be honest i mean he finishes very often he finishes ahead of bottas in races yeah and especially this year he's not been i think bottas has like a single point more i think bottas is on five points and joe on four but yeah i kind of i kind of think that he had a pretty good um uh, debut year and a pretty good second year so far as well given the circumstances taken into account the Alfa Romeo. I understand that it's going to turn into Audi and, and they might want to think and look into different drivers. Uh, I heard a, a beforehand, before the race started, they were mentioning that Bucher, or sorry, that Drugovic is, is um, yeah, is considered for that C2, which is surprising given that Bucher is actually uh, doing very well in F2, uh, still a very young driver pretty consistent and um, I, I would understand if, if they would give him a chance. I would just personally uh, doubt whether it would be Joe that you got to take out of that seat or whether you should take out Bottas. I mean, nothing mm. against him personally, but I do think that Bottas is a little bit more on his, uh, well, I wouldn't say way out, but he's a little bit older. Joe is still relatively young. I guess uh, the Chinese market, even though it might be slightly disappointing up until this point, how much money that has brought in. But I do think that he's... Um, He's not a bad driver. He um, he's shown that he he actually can score points, and um, yeah, he he does spin here and there. He spun also in um, was it in the free practice three session? But yeah, I don't know. I I feel sli- I would feel sad if he would leave uh, F one already after this year. Uh, what about you, Sam? I 
I it's it's no secret I love Joe. Um, I think <laughs> that he I think that he has um, a, a lot of potential in order like to be a consistent F1 driver. And I think that he is this is where we see that side of F1 that you see the you see the the business side of F1 when it comes to it's it's not just about the sport and the performance. It's also about the monetary side and you have a lot of drivers that have potential and that are hungry for a seat. And yes, you have a team that is going to be segueing into Audi. Uh, so there's a lot of potentially moving parts, but ultimately I agree with you, Anton. I think that he deserves his spot. I think that he's shown that he can be a solid driver for Alfa Romeo. And it's interesting. It's a, it's a very good point that you put out as well, Maeve, in terms of his contract altogether. He, he's not a costly uh, driver, and yet in terms of consistency, he's actually overperforming uh, when it comes to his teammate who actually costs more. So I would really be sad. It, it would, I, I would be sad to see Joe go, and I really hope that he doesn't. Um, I think that being unable to really finish his qualifying lap it, it was it was sad to see because now now you see a driver who is all who is under an immense amount of pressure leading into the second part of the season, similar to Sargent as well. He's one that mm. uh, that that is in a position where his contract for 2024 may be on the line. So, plus they also they keep these lists of um, how much damage a driver does to or how much it costs to replace parts that the, the drivers damage, and I think. Up until this weekend, where now it might have changed a little bit because he did crash during the race, but I think Joe um, actually caused very little on uh, on on crashes on average or throughout the season. Uh, of course, he had that big um, big accident in Silverstone last year, which was also not really his fault. So, also in terms of damage, I also don't think he caused that much. So, adding all these things up, yeah, I would, I, yeah, I think we all agree on 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 this. And jumping back to Q1, um, we saw in in the drivers who who went out of Q1, uh, we also saw Ocon being part of those drivers, which right. um, which was a bit disappointing. I guess the other drivers, Magnussen, Bottas, and and Lawson, yeah, that's that that would be something, um, yeah, that you can expect. But Ocon in that list is is a bit unexpected. But moving to Q2, I think there was another person over there <laughs> who we wouldn't expect to be out. Hmm? I think you can guess who I'm talking about. Yes, uh, you're talking about Stroll. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, given how good the Alpha, uh, the the Aston Martin was this weekend, uh, Stroll should have made it to Q3, if you ask me. But uh, but yeah, I wasn't talking about Stroll. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, we were obviously talking about Hamilton, uh, but we saw him struggling initially he he seemed to be uh unable to match russell's pace for a little bit but also i mean there were two factors that i saw that that were reasons potentially for why he didn't make it past and into q3 one was the fact that he i think he went too early i think they released him for his final lap too early uh qualifying lap and also he was impeded by sonoda which actually in turn for sonoda he received a three grid place penalty uh, for that, so Hamilton and Hamilton only really missed out. Um, I think it was by eight hundredths of a second. So it just shows you how much. Maybe if he hadn't been impeded, he probably would have made it. I mean, obviously you can't say for certain, but it's it's kind of crazy how much of a difference that can make. 
Yeah, you are right, actually, that those times uh, between Sargent, Stroll, Gasly and Hamilton was all very, very close together. And and actually, now mentioning Sargent, who did make it into uh, Q3, that was a that was an exciting achievement from, from him. I think he was the first U.S. driver since 93 that made it into the final qualifying session. Is that right? I, it was like, as I guess as an American fan, um, Sargent is on my radar but never really fully on my radar i gotta say i have like allegiances to other drivers that are stronger uh than my allegiance to him but it was a very exciting to see him into into q3 and then just as the announcers were going over that stat that you were saying making it first american since 1993 is when he crashes and uh, i just thought it was very ironic very quick high and then a very quick low after that it was it was really great to see him to see both Williams drivers get into manage to get into Q3 as well. That that was impressive. And and I think that uh it was great to see Sargent crack that and and still be able to place in Q3. I think that strategically for Williams they've they've really been excelling. Uh it, they've been excelling when it comes to their strategy and you can tell that during qualifying they just put all their energy and focus into uh, making sure that they that that they were trying, like I believe that they had uh, they were running on lower fuel, so they wanted to be able to have less weight in the car. They really wanted to put all their eggs into the qualifying basket for both drivers. And something to that that is that is great to be said about Sargent is the fact that he he had that pressure going in, and he managed to to make the although he crashed, he still managed to to get into Q three, and so. For both drivers to to be able to start the race in in that position, like in the top ten, is great for Williams. I think that that overall is uh, is a success for them in consideration to where they were even last year and uh, how they finished the season last year and where they are now. Uh, so I think, of course, we'll talk about his race, but yes, there are some definite shining moments that he had and that they had as a team all together for qualifying. No, and regardless of his uh, crash in Q3, it did put a smile on my face too, uh, him getting into Q, Q3. And then Albon uh, topping the topping the timesheets in, in Q1, and I think he was second in Q2, just after Verstappen, and um, finishing fourth, and very closely to finishing third. It was just taken away from him by Russell, but uh, what a result. I mean, that, that from, out of the whole qualifying session was, uh, for me, the cherry on the on the what is it cake <laughs> and they i don't know, <laughs> know. <laughs> no but cherry on the I think Sunday. all right cherry on top i don't know <laughs> all right all right yeah well it was album for me yeah i think it was it was album for me too um that was so exciting to see i think equaling his best result i believe um which he previously achieved in a red bull so i think it goes goes to your point samantha about how a, I think Albon's able to outdrive the Williams a bit, but I think they're able to set up their qualifying strategy extremely well compared to the other teams that they should be theoretically compared to, like compared to the Alfa Romeos, the Haases, even compared to the Alpine cars. I think they're they're outperforming, which is really exciting to see as a fan. But who would have thought that on this track, because, I mean, to be honest, the Williams is good in straight lines. I don't think anybody would have thought that on uh, on Zandvoort, where, you know, there's there's uh, 
one big straight, but other than that, it's a lot of it's a lot of tight and twisty corners. I really wouldn't have imagined the Williams doing that that good. Well, I think that's the interesting part as well that comes with the strategy this weekend is that they knew that they were going into a track that, and besides this weekend having a lot of overtakes, they knew going into this weekend that the track is set in a way where overtaking isn't going to be the strong suit. It's really going to come down to where you position yourself in qualifying. So strategically putting all their eggs in, so to speak, the qualifying basket um, and and then in turn during the race, still having, uh, I, I can't wait to talk about Albon during the race. I know Anton's probably itching to talk about it too, but, <laughs> but either way, um, seeing how they were able to, to be dealt the hands that everybody was dealt with and still come out on top in certain strategical ways through the race as well was interesting. So yeah, I think that in terms of trajectory here for Williams, we're seeing them just continue to do a steady incline throughout the season. So it's really exciting to see. And and um, I look forward every single weekend to what they're going to do. I really do. And especially Alvin. You're right. I think the antithesis to that, to looking forward to see how they're going to do, would be Ferrari, where I'm always scared to see what's going to happen with them every weekend. I think one thing that we didn't hit on um, with Q1 was Leclerc barely making it um, out of Q1. And you heard him almost like scolding his engineers, telling them like they're not on top of it in terms of traffic and the tire temperature and when he's going to set his lap. And so I think it's just interesting seeing one team that's able to possibly outperform like where their car should be and then ferrari where it's just like still continues to be so sloppy on some of these things that they should have figured out and it causes you know leclerc to almost not even make it out of q1 no that's a great point and and we mentioned Sargent's uh, crash in q3 and um of course we had leclerc's crash as well and i don't think um or i agree with you with what you said that his qualifying in general q1 um, but especially Q3. I mean, it was not really something for him to look back at and um, and be happy about. So, um, yeah, you're right. I think um, any Ferrari fan or even those who are not strong Ferrari fans, but everybody is kind of, I don't even know the right feeling to describe the feeling that you get watching Ferrari and their strategy. I mean, during the race, it was again a bit of a, uh, well... It was a bit messy, but uh, but a I bit? think we will get to that. Um, and before we get to the race, I just want to mention that uh, that Norris did, even though he was half a second away from Verstappen's pole time, but uh, yeah, that was quite a, a good result from him putting it on uh, P2. Um, we mentioned Russell and Albon, but uh, I do think that um, we know that the McLaren has improved a lot uh, from Austria onward, but um, but that was a very good result from him too. I think that that final lap uh, for all the drivers, primarily the remaining eight drivers uh, at the end was very exciting. And we've seen a few, uh, we've seen a few weekends where it comes down to that very last lap or not necessarily for pole position, but for the remainder of, of the top 10, uh, just one after the other, after the other. And they're just, they're, they're so close in terms of their timing and it really makes it exciting when you watch a Q3 session. So in this case, they were left with, I believe, four minutes on the clock. 
So they really only had time to put on one more flying lap after that, um, after Leclerc's accident or crash, we should say. So, yeah, I agree. Norris was fantastic. Russell had a solid qualifying, which was good to see because he has been struggling recently. And uh, we've already touched on Albon and even Alonso. Clearly, the upgrades are working. And what about the elephant in the Red Bull room, uh, Beres, uh, <laughs> qualifying seventh? Yeah, he does not seem to be doing himself any favors. <laughs> I I think that was like the first thing that I noticed uh, or or was thinking about right after qualifying is like, okay, Verstappen, P1, great. Where uh, was Perez? And he was in seventh. And so it's, I don't know, it's just continually top of mind for everyone. I think um, the difference between the two teammates there. And obviously there's been discussions throughout this whole season as to his contract and we know that Red Bull is pretty, pretty ruthless. Um, so I don't know if, if you all have talked about his contract and his performance. I'm sure you all have, but several times as your, has your mind changed at all after this weekend? Well, I mean, being one second and three tenths of a second away from the qualifying time with that car. I mean, yeah, like you were saying, I think that's the best way to describe it. He's not doing himself any favors and we'll have to see what Red Bull decides because in the current situation, they don't really need their second driver to be yeah. as good to really make the construction championship. But, you know, in a situation where... Um, the car wouldn't be as dominant or Verstappen wouldn't be as dominant. I suppose you do need a good second driver and you never know when that moment's going to come and you've got to plan ahead of it. You can't be reactive and Red Bull is not really a team that's reactive in that sense. I think they're quite proactive with changing their drivers. So it's, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to say it's a ticking time bomb, but it does seem that way. It's a good point that you have, you can't be reactive in a situation like this because my thought is always, I mean, the status quo is fine. It's working for them. They're winning the Constructors' Championship easily. Um, not really thanks to Perez, but, you know, he's not harming the situation. So my initial thoughts is, yeah, it's not great, but I think Red Bull doesn't need to do anything about it. But it is a good point where, I mean, they need to be considering the fact that next year or two years from now, other, other teams are going to be competitive and they have to be ready for that. Absolutely. All right, so let's get into the moment that I've been waiting for to have to talk about, and that is the race. Uh, absolutely dramatic, chaotic. We had rain, we had chaos, we had chaotic tire strategies. We saw uh, in the within the first five laps, I think that we saw more changes to the to the entire grid uh, than I have. I I can't remember seeing seeing that grid change so much in, in such a short period of time. So can't wait to talk about it. I've said that several times. Uh, Maeve, let's start with you. What What is one of the things that you took from the initial start of the race? Yeah, I think to your point, I had to take pictures of uh, like laps and what place everyone was in so that I could try to remember like, okay, on lap one, what was the order again? Uh, because it was just changing so rapidly. I think the biggest shocking thing for me was Mercedes and and Hamilton's strategy off the start. He 
was starting on mediums, which would indicate that they're thinking he's going to go longer than everyone else. Everyone else was on softs, I believe. And they knew rain was coming at the very start of the race. So it just seemed like, I mean, it ended up being the wrong strategy, but it seemed just very off. And I tend to think that Mercedes is normally pretty on it with their strategy. Um, And so that, that was really surprising to me that they were just completely wrong. Yeah, that's a very good point. On the other hand, what I do like is that they're the only team that actually split the strategies from the start because you're right, everybody else was on soft, so they're the only team who actually try with different strategies, which during this season, we don't actually see that often. We see a lot of teams uh, trying the same thing with both cars. So, yeah, you're right. It doesn't turn out to be the right strategy, but what would have happened if it wouldn't have rained? Um, so, you know, in, in, in on the one hand, yeah, you're right. Um, um, and good to note, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It could have it could have all gone very different if we wouldn't have seen that rain. But I guess everybody, at least I know I was, when we heard just before the uh, formation lap that rain was imminent. Then you know I was I was very afraid that they would postpone just like they did um, <laughs> in in Spa. But I was very happy actually that um, that they didn't. And I think the rain wasn't at least in that first part of the race. It wasn't also uh, such a, you know, it didn't really create undrivable conditions. It was in the end um, something that was manageable. And I think uh, from that moment on, we had pure chaos, or at least uh, let's just say from that moment onwards, strategies did split. <laughs> yeah, we saw, we definitely saw split strategies as soon as as soon as the rain started to hit in that first lap. And and you saw initially when it came to strategies what the right one was very early on because those strategies were split we saw some drivers stay out on slicks we saw others immediately switch to inters now actually one team that did have that split strategy was red bull in the very beginning max stayed out on slicks for a little bit while perez went right in quickly and switched to inters at that time those that had switched to inters early on seemed to excel one being joe Right. I mean, we saw him in P2, then P3 for a little bit. Uh, however, I think that they could have really, the team itself could have really capitalized on that and given him a better strategy had they not had pitted him afterwards and put him on mediums. But that's, uh, that's, that's a whole other situation. But initially, in the very beginning, we saw that, yes, the, the split strategies, where it was effective and where it wasn't. Maeve, I agree with you with Mercedes. I was I was questioning that decision as well. I even went and questioned uh, when it came to Russell. Uh, I think that he was seven laps in and they pitted him to hards. Um, but, and correct me if I'm wrong on the seven laps, because I'm not 100% sure. So Anton may have to go back and yeah, review. I, don't I think feel so, like as soon as they right. said seven, I'm like, I think that's wrong. <laughs> he, went to, he, he was one of the latest to go on intermediates. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, and, then and then after, after his inters, he actually went on softs first oh. for like six laps. And then he went to hards, but go. he did go to hards. He was the only one that went to yes. hards. So that you're right about. Well, thank you, because you, I know you have the information ahead of you. So just, just to correct me, and that's good, because yeah, when he went to hards, I was, uh, I, I was questioning that decision, but in the end, it yeah, made right. sense uh, for the time that it did because it was more of a long game strategy. And given the weather at that moment, he did seem to make some considerable ground. I know that in the beginning he had dropped quite considerably, and and he expressed that on the radio. But 
He made ground with the hards. Unfortunately, I think that uh, when the rain came the second time, that was when chaos once again ensued, and he may not have really been able to capitalize upon that. But um, again, a few things that I was scratching my head at initially with Mercedes as well. Um, I would say McLaren also in the beginning, uh, keeping keeping their drivers out for quite a long stretch. I Especially Norris, we saw him unfortunately drop quite a bit and he had started out so well. Yeah, not only Norris. I mean, there were a few more drivers who stayed out for too long and um, uh, personally, I was, I was very disappointed that uh, Albon didn't go in. I, I thought actually, and just as you said, that they set up the car so much for qualifying, which was under rainy conditions, I thought that that car would actually do very well on intermediates. Um, but he never switched to Inters. I mean, he and um, also Piastri, they stayed out and also Bottas actually, but they all stayed out during, um, during that rainy period. And Albon took his uh, softs 44 laps into the race. Um, but I think he lost a lot of time there. Um, and um, yeah, his race was just up and down, up and down, which was, um, I don't know, I just love to see that William score points. So that was a bit of a roller coaster for me too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Albon, still impressive for him as a driver to manage to go 44 laps on softs like that. He He was just out there and... But you saw the moment that some of those, like Piastri, for example, the moment that Piastri did pit, he was putting on fastest times, uh, fastest laps during some of the periods and really was able to uh, try to make some ground. So it does question that had the, had the teams changed their strategy, pitted some of these drivers like Albon and Piastri early, how much more of a difference it would have made uh, in the long term for their result. Quick quiz question. Which driver even endured more laps than Albon on softs during the race? A good question. Because hmm. there's been somebody that drove 50 laps I, on I softs. I was looking at the, different, at the different pits and tires too. Um, but it's a driver that did go to inters uh, during the first wet session, but then after it dried up, he went to softs and then stayed out on softs for 50 laps. See, I knew this would have gone a little bit under the radar. <laughs> okay, That's why okay I'm going to take a but, guess. Uh, so, <laughs> it definitely yeah, did. So it's to know that he drove from lap 10 up until lap 60 on, on the same soft tires. And he... Wow. Yeah, that definitely... You know what, though? It, it does make sense towards the end of... Uh, because I, he he was doing... He, he actually was putting on a fantastic drive considering some of the obstacles that were that were there for him. And you could see that shortly before he pitted the uh, the wear, the, he just didn't he lacked the pace because he had made he had made all those advancements and then he just started falling back uh, down the grid as a result of not having the pace. So so that that would make sense that it would be Sonoda. And he but, was doing so well because he was yeah. taking like Norris couldn't overtake him and and then Hamilton behind that and and you know he really created a little bit of a DRS train where where just I would have thought that Norris uh, wouldn't have had too much trouble in the McLaren overtaking him but it took many many laps and I think in the end uh, yeah Norris even pitted before even overtaking him. I think too it it plays a part to the strategy like you, you have a you have a driver that really was was performing um and doing so well but then you can do so well but if the strategy isn't there on the other end it really impacts overall the performance because they as a whole as a team they threw away a huge chance to secure Sonoda's best result in that um and 
they he didn't really have a fighting chance by the time the tires were so worn. That I mean, that brings me to an interesting thought that I was having where normally when there's a chaotic race like this, there's a lot of rain, there's red flags, there's yellow flags, you'll see some of the quote unquote bottom runners, I guess, capitalize on that chaos and make, you know, some sort of impact during the race. And I feel like we didn't see that happen. Like, you know, there were some chances for Joe and Alfa Romeo for for Sonoda with Alfa Tari. Even Haas, I feel like typically Hulkenberg and and Magnuson tend to do well in in the more wet conditions and just none of them were able to capitalize on it for the end of the race. Magnuson did all right for quite a while, but then, yeah, um, it was interesting to see that he was, at some point he was in seventh position and I think Hulkenberg was like 17th and then in the end they, they ended up or they were driving. Uh, in the end, Hulkenberg finished uh, higher than Magnussen did, which was which was very surprising. Um, you're right. Usually, you you see a bit more of a shakeup. Although maybe what happened was that we saw an initial shakeup, and then because of the second uh, rain cells that came over the race, we had another shakeup, which sort of I don't know, it shaked it back. <laughs> I don't know how to <laughs> okay. explain it, but. In the end, you know, uh, I've been asking for a long time for a race that is starting out dry, gets wet, and then gets dry again. We saw something like that in Monaco. I don't feel like Monaco is the right track for having that. Uh, but actually, we saw a race that started out dry, then became wet, dry again, and ended up being wet again. I mean, uh, it's all I could have hoped for. <laughs> That's true. I was thinking about it when I was seeing the conditions. I, I was just like, yep, this is exactly what Anton wants. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say, too, I, I really do enjoy when the weather changes because I've, I've said this before. I'm, I really thoroughly love the strategical element of the sport and seeing how how quickly you have to you have to rely on that strategy and also the pit stops and everything that's involved with consistent weather changes like that and uh one thing that i would say going back to the emphasis on strategy or or just having different pit stops would be also the difficulties that some teams also faced during pit stops i mean how heartbreaking <laughs> was it to see leclerc they weren't even prepared for his inters when he came into pit. Did you, did, what did you guys think when you saw that? I think I just was like shaking my head because it was like so surprising, but not surprising at the, at the same time. Um, unfortunately, but I mean, it's shocking that he's coming into the pit lane and the tires aren't even there. And there's people still in the garage getting the tires while he's, he's sitting there. So yeah, I was, I was pretty bummed by that. And I knew from the start of the race that it would go to rainy conditions within one or two laps. So it's, I, I mean, I can't really think of any reason why you wouldn't have those tires ready. I mean, what, what were they thinking? Like he would come in for, for a new set of slicks or, I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it's, I think uh, the whole world was shaking their head. Um, and also, we saw a very slow pit stop of Alonso, which is um, not mm -hmm. so typical for Aston Martin, which, um, uh, I don't know, uh, it was like eight seconds that it took, and I thought that that was really going to mess up his race, but uh, didn't take uh, Alonso very long to recuperate <laughs> from that. I'm glad you segued that, because that's actually what I was going to say, is, is that you see a driver 
uh, that really, I mean, Alonzo, he, he be, he was driver of the day this weekend. And I, I, I do believe that, um, he, he deserved that. And he was just in fine form and he was handed, he was handed the, the beauty about him as a driver is that even when things like that occur, he still remains focused and he, and he, pro he produces such an incredible result. He has, um, he is, he's just very, very shrewd when it comes to being able to know when to capitalize on moments, especially this weekend when it came to overtakes. And although he dropped down the grid, I believe both it was both um, uh, Sainz and Sonoda who gained on him. He he came in less than a lap. He he managed to, well, with Sonoda on, on softs that really didn't have much pace, <laughs> he managed to overtake Sonoda, but then he capitalized on signs as well. And another beautiful move that he made was actually lap one. I believe it was on turn three, where that's what gave him the advantage in the first place, which was one of the important elements to securing the podium. And, and that was the move that he made on both Russell and Norris at the start. So an example of a driver who, although Leclerc, I wouldn't say had a fighting chance to really capitalize because he did suffer some damage in his car and eventually retired as a result. But Alonso, just absolutely impressive this weekend. And with the upgrades, and then he, he faces the uncertainty in, he has a slow pit stop. He faces the issues with the weather like everybody else. And he really made the best of it. Now, he had a very good start of the race, and but don't get me wrong, I'm, I'll be the first person to give Alonso a driver of the day when he deserves it, but I do think that in that Aston Martin driving from fifth to second is not as impressive as taking an Alpine from 12th to third. I was going to say, I was going to mention the fact that I think there's a few drivers that could deserve driver of the day, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about Alpine. I mean, they've been through a lot of difficult things, as we, we all know. It's, this season has not been favorable to them. What a, what a weekend for Alpine, and not only Alpine, but Gasly finishes on the podium. That was something that I did not see coming whatsoever. I think I kind of counted Alpine and, and Gasly out. So that was, it was exciting to see something just that different, I think in a race. And I think a lot of fans didn't see it coming, which was really fun. Right. And plus he, he was handed a five second penalty as well. So not only did he make considerable ground, uh, but he also was dealt a penalty. And now he did, uh, he was promoted as a result of Perez's penalty that, that was similar speeding in the pit lane. But regardless, I, I think it was a fantastic race. What, what are your thoughts, Anton, when it comes to Alpine and Gasly? No, I think it was a, that's why I'm saying I would have definitely given driver of the day to Gasly. And um, I think they, well, the main thing they capitalized on was on pitting that first lap um, when the rain came, um, going on intermediates. I think everybody who did that um, profited from that. And um, yeah, they had, a, they had a great race. He was also, um, when the second rainy bit came, he was also one of the first to, to go on um uh, on intermediate so um yeah they they got all the the pit stops correct uh correctly timed and um and it's good to see for a team like that which um yeah i mean uh, the the struggles they've had is mostly internally like 
doesn't have much to do with the drivers. Uh, but this was really a team accomplishment, I would say. Uh, so also strategically, very well played out. And um, and talking a little bit about that second part of the race where we had those rainy conditions, um, <laughs> uh, what a chaos. I mean, uh, I think that was something that um, uh, we all, from the moment the race was dry again, uh, we heard several radio comments of rain uh, coming over the track and then I think uh, we really were sure about it like 15 minutes before that actual rain cloud came over and it was much heavier than um, than actually the first one and everyone um, yeah I mean well I wouldn't say panicked but um, m most of the drivers went on intermediates I think only Ocon was uh, was the one who, who went to full wets which is um, I think he was also very mad about it uh, towards the team because uh, we all know by now that first of all the wet tires do not perform very well and we also know that the chances of the race being red flagged when we have very heavy rainy conditions is is, is very high so uh, why would you take the chance to go to that full wet tire uh, when you know that there is a high probability of a red flag where you um, yeah, um, you lose time basically. And um, once the rain started falling, we saw all drivers uh, go off in the, um, in that first uh, Tarzan corner. And um, I think it was uh, eventually Joe that really hit the hall, uh, hit the wall very hard. Um, we got a virtual safety car first, under which even Hamilton at the virtual safety car speed also still went off the track. It was it was quite chaotic, and I think it was the right decision to to red flag the race. Um, what what were your thoughts? Yeah, I was actually just about to ask um, if you both thought it was a good decision to red flag. I thought it was just so classic that you heard Max being like, why'd they red flag the race? Like, everything was fine. Like, you know, chaos behind him and he's just chilling, um, has no concerns whatsoever. I think it is interesting that, you know, no one had wets on, so we don't really know what it would have been like had all the drivers been on wets you know would there have been less chaos but it did seem like you know with the amount of water that was on the track the inters could not really handle it yeah i think that um i i was a little surprised i mean although it happened very quickly i guess but i was a little surprised that they started with a virtual safety car they didn't just you know switch and then call the red flag because you could you could see and and it was very clear that it was going to be very heavy and near impossible for the drivers and it came it came very fast and and um it, after joe had hit the barriers like we still saw drivers out there and so they they just basically couldn't drive anymore on the inter so i, I was a little surprised i guess i mean not uh they still called the red flag but i was the, there was a little bit of time before they actually did it. it may not, that timing to me is is everything in terms of um, whether it becomes quite hazardous for the drivers. And in Joe's case, I mean, that was that was a significant amount of G-force that he was experiencing when he's hitting the barriers. So thankfully, he was okay. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it was the right call overall to uh, to to put a brief pause on the race. And I think it left them. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Anton. <laughs> Thirty-one minutes left left that they had to be able to finish the race. Well, I think in the end, is there's a three-hour time period, right? So I think they red flagged it after about one and a mm -hmm. half hours, didn't they? So uh, we would have had one and a half hour 
more if I'm not mistaken. Maybe you know what? Let's let's just scrap what I'm saying because who knows? <laughs> no, but what I think was David, interesting. My mind so was boggled by the I, end. I'm a big fan of trying to let the race move on and actually, you know, when we get wet conditions and uh, try to let the strategic element play its part and play its role. So um, I, I was actually quite happy that at first it didn't red flag it straight away, but, you know, you give teams time to make the decision whether to go to intermediates on which lap, stay out, don't stay out, go to full wets. Um, as long as it's, you know, some relatively safe, uh, I would say let the race go on. Uh, but yeah, then once somebody is really off on that first corner, I mean, we all know that it's quite uh, dangerous, just as you see how uh, the speed of, of Joe crashing into the barriers, you know, imagine another car just, you know, slipping off at the very same point, that would be very dangerous. So I think all in all, um, I don't think there's anything bad that can be said about um, about the decisions uh, during this race, uh, in this occasion. So I was, I was you know, I was quite pleased with it in the end. I don't think that there's too many negative comments we can make on that. All right. Well, let's move along then. A uh, few other things I think that we could mention. One being uh, Lawson. We did touch briefly on the fact that we think overall, I think we can collectively agree that he had a, a pretty decent first race. But we should also acknowledge the fact that he managed to finish in the position that he was in after he was handed a 10-second penalty. True. And that was for impeding Magnuson. Right, in the pit lane, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. Now, I think, in it, to me, um, I, I mean, again, the, this race was just, there was so much happening, but yet I feel like I, I, I don't know what else to think of in this very moment. <laughs> Does anyone else have any thoughts that they want to bring up from the race? Well, I do have another quiz question, which is how many tires <laughs> did Verstappen drive on during I can this answer race this. in total? Six. Six pit stops. Uh, well, you're right about the amount of pit stops, uh, but if there are six different. pit stops, oh, you said tires. seven Sorry, tires. I was just so was excited. Tires, but you are right. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited <laughs> because actually that was the one thing that I, I also wanted to mention. So you, not the tires, but the pit stops themselves. Yeah, uh, but I, I, I asked tires for the reason that I'm not even 100% sure if we can call, like if we need to go in with a red mm. flag into the pits and you change tires, whether right, you can call that right. an actual pit stop or not. But uh, I think, yeah, that's open to discussion. That, but, but if we extract that, if we extract that, let, let's say we, we eliminate the red flag pit stop, then it was still uh, an, an insane amount of pit stops altogether, right? That would have left. All right. So, okay. Going into that, you got the amount of tires, right? So how many pit stops were there all together from all the drivers? If we do count that red flag as a pit stop. So how many pit stops were there then with all drivers okay. added up? All drivers added combined? everyone. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, Anton, that, that, that's a question I can't answer. Okay. Um, but you gotta, you gotta guess. Do. That's, that's the whole point. Uh, I'm going to guess. I'm trying to do some like quick mental math. I feel like I'm in like an interview, yeah, yeah. an interview question. This is like an interview question. Um, 65. I think that's too high. Um, 53, maybe. 53 is my final answer. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I I'm going to say if we have 
I'm going to go crazy and I'm going to say 85. Well, Sam, you, you got really close. It's, it was 89. Wow. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I, I will say this. I looked before we started the podcast, I, I looked at the amount um, average, not, not the average, but I looked at everybody's pit, uh, pit stops, uh, tire switches, because th- normally I, I like to do that, but more so than ever when it came to this race for, for the obvious reasons. So I had a few that I really highlighted because of the strategies that they had in mind. So I know that the average was roughly uh around five uh yeah so you had an unfair advantage i'm 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 not not (laughs) yeah so so i'm so i'm just saying i i I did do a little bit (laughs) and we can't give me that number and say it was a complete you're honest though i like that (laughs) (laughs) yep always am (laughs) so uh, all right if if this already felt like an interview we're gonna come up with a lot more questions later on when we get to the score so so be prepared yep But talking a little bit about Verstappen and, uh, well, not about the amount of tires that he drove on, but uh, what, uh, what are your thoughts on, uh, on him taking those nine consecutive wins? Yeah, I feel like at this point it's not surprising, but it still is very impressive. And I think the fact that no matter the situation, how chaotic the race is, you know, he's always in a situation where he's in a good place to secure the win and secure the win in a pretty uh you know safe fashion it never felt like there was a chance that someone else was going to win the race nine consecutive wins is super impressive and i think doing it on your you know home turf is even more exciting you know people were talking about there's even more pressure cuz it felt like you know the 300,000 people that were there were probably all dutch max verstappen fans i think i tuned into qualifying at one point it's literally playing the Max Verstappen song. And I'm, I was just thinking like, how much pressure is that, that you're literally hearing a song with your name being chanted, getting into the car about to go, you know, start racing or, or set your laps for qualifying. So I know that he always seems so calm and collected, but I do think you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of pressure on him and he is able to perform very well under that pressure. It's actually interesting you say that they're all Max Verstappen fans because I actually started writing down uh, which forecast players are at the track that I know of. And from the seven people that are there, it's only actually one Dutch person in the game. So that was kind of surprising that, that it, you know, I, I, I do agree that when you look at the stands, you'd say that they're all Dutch fans. And I guess the vast majority is. But there's also, I think there's... Uh, still uh, surprisingly uh, decent amount of people uh, from other countries that that visit the track but uh, but other than that I, I completely agree with you and um yeah on the one hand we tend to say that the car is a rocket ship but we do see that Perez has a lot more trouble uh, finishing on the podium throughout the season i mean again uh, i think during this race of course, you can mention the circumstances and maybe he was unlucky here and there, but um, overall, not finishing on the podium is, is not a great result. Um, he didn't have the best starting position, but he he recovered from that pretty quickly. But then uh, to still drop, and of course he had a penalty, but then again, Gasly, who did finish on the podium, had the same penalty. So, um, uh, yeah, taking that into account, uh, I do feel that uh, it's uh, 
yeah, it's an incredible result. And not only from Verstappen, but also I think now, didn't we say that last race was the, tw the 12th consecutive race win of Red Bull? So this must have been the 13th after, uh, yeah, starting from Abu Dhabi last year. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in the end, um, I guess there's not much more to say than we can applaud this as a uh, whether you're a Verstappen fan yes or no but um, yeah, I think it's it's safe to say that it's a it's a very big accomplishment well and let's not forget we've just started the second half of the season and he's already accomplished this uh, record so that means that we have several races to go so how how far is that uh, record potentially going to be extended to because given this season and how consistent he has been, um, I think it's pretty it's pretty safe to say that the likelihood is, is that he's going to shatter that record and create a very long stretch uh, that would uh, be a challenge for someone else to try to break. So, Al Albon wins Monza and we don't talk about <laughs> the Red Bull record anymore. <laughs> Listen, I would love to see it. And if... If anyone's, if there's going to be something like that to happen, let it be in Monza. We've seen it before. That's why. That's, that's going to be Albon's revenge for not driving Monza last year. <laughs> no, but with all jokes aside, I, I, I agree with, with what both of you were saying. All right. So I think that uh, that wraps up the race, no? Kind of does. So Maeve, I would like to ask you a little bit about uh, your background, how you got into F1 and how you got started with your TikTok page. I believe you first started with TikTok and then went to Instagram, but uh, talk a little bit about how you got in touch with F1. Um, what are your favorite things about it? What are your favorite teams or drivers, if you have any? And um, yeah, just, just talk a little bit about yourself. Awesome. Well, I got into Formula One actually in, I, th I think it was 2020. So beginning of the pandemic, I think I tuned in during the 2020 season. And it's interesting because, I don't know, car racing had never really been, or motorsports in general had never really been on my radar. And then my fiance started watching it. I started watching it and I immediately got really into it. And I think a big part of it was actually something, uh, Samantha, you said earlier, which is the whole strategy aspect of things and how, I don't know, how dynamic the strategy is, how many different inputs there are, I always found super interesting. Um, and I think my assumption, you know, before knowing anything about the sport was that it was way less dynamic than it is. And so I think that's the thing that immediately, um, immediately drew me to it. And this is like, very random, but I actually grew up um, competitively sailing. And so the America's Cup is like one of the big sailing races. And it's actually very similar where like countries will create a boat and it all has to be within general same technical specifications, but you can make different parts of the boat different. And, and that's how, kind of how you can gain an advantage. And so it really reminded me of Formula One where there's general technical specifications, but every team, you know, can kind of build the car the way they think is best. And so I think that parallel was something um, that also really drew me to the sports. It felt very, very familiar at first. 
that's really interesting that that's how that you have that relatability in in terms of what you grew up with and how it can segue into the sport yeah and then um i think it was probably about a year ago uh the red bull team did some sort of um something with one of the like sailing teams and like they went sailing and i was so stoked to see that i was like watching all of the videos of them uh max like going sailing in a sailboat i loved that um but yeah, that's kind of, that's how I initially got, got into the sport. And then immediately was, you know, watching every single race, getting all of the content on Instagram and TikTok. And then it's interesting, like I've never created anything on social media. And I was like, you know what, it would be kind of cool to create a TikTok account. Um, it was right before the 2022 season. So there was kind of a lot of stuff going on with what are the technical changes going to be and it was one of those things where I felt like in all of my free time I was researching you know what does this change mean and you know how is that going to impact the cars and trying to learn about it and I thought okay if I'm spending all my time trying to read up on this maybe I can share that with other people try to simplify it like share it more succinctly and so that's really how it started. I think my first few videos were all about um, the 2022 rule changes and, you know, how the cars were going to be different and kind of kicked off with with that season. But I think that's that's a really um, I, I think that your niche, like being able to to take the information and uh Put it out there in a way that's really easy to understand, but you have a natural ability uh, when it comes to being on the camera and being able to provide that content. And I personally think it's great. Um, I I have mentioned this to you earlier, but I really do enjoy I really do enjoy the content that you put out. Thank you. I I'm like smiling over here because I don't know how to respond to compliments like that, but I I really appreciate it, and I feel like even when like one person will be like, Oh my God, I love this. Like, keep it up. It actually, um, like warms my heart. So I'm like, you know what people actually find, um, what I'm putting out there useful. And sometimes it's, it's hard to tell. Um, and so I really appreciate that. Well, talking about useful, I think that one of your last videos that you put out with, uh, explaining how to get tickets to the, is it to the Austin race? Yeah. Uh, I think that went viral. And I think the very reason for it is because of it being extremely useful actually for, for people knowing how to get tickets to that. So, um, yeah, I, I, and I didn't respond yet on what you were saying with the crossover with, with sailing. That is, that is very interesting indeed. Um, for those who want to follow you, um, I think the name of your page is final corner with the I being a one, right? Um, yes. Is it, is it the same name on, on both TikTok and Instagram? Yes, it is. All right. So, I would definitely say anyone who's listening, do find her page. You're going to love it. Okay, so that means it's time. It is time to see the score results. Agreed. So let's look at... Some of the stats for this weekend's forecast F1 results. So we had 511 people playing the game, uh, which is 10 more than we had at the last race in Belgium before the summer break. 
and we had an average score of 39.6, which is relatively low. Uh, I guess that has to do with a relatively unpredictable podium. So I always ask the guests how many people got a correct podium prediction. So I'll ask you now, Sam, how many people had Verstappen Alonso Gasly on the podium? I'm going to say nobody. That's a good guess. I feel like, I mean, yeah, the Gasly aspect is really the wild card. I would guess... Just to be different, I'll guess one. Yeah, no, it's nice to be different sometimes, but nobody had that correct. That's, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> uh, I was trying to be Mercedes and split the strategy, okay? Well, yeah, that's uh, uh, that, that goes for you. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, even if you would have Gasly on the podium, well, I mean, yeah, the Verstappen Alonso Gasly is a pretty unpredictable one, I would say. So, um, so let's have a look at the podium of forecast f1 for this weekend so the winner of this weekend scored 68 points and that's chadai kabongo i hope i'm pronouncing that right um, it's the only player in the game that we have from congo in africa so he had a correct p1 with verstappen a correct p2 with alonso and he also had hamilton on p6 and norris on p7 other than that he did score some points for perez and Sainz. Uh, Sergio Gamero from Spain, um, playing the game for the first time actually this weekend, scored 67 and thereby takes the second position. He had Verstappen and Alonso correct as well. He did have Perez on P4 and Norris on P7 and scored some points for Hamilton and Sainz. Then on third place, we have Luis Tirado from Puerto Rico, also playing for the first time. Uh, Luis is the founder of Boxtalk PR, the Instagram page. So for Spanish-speaking players of the game, I would say it's a really cool Instagram channel to follow uh, with lots of live videos and information. He scored 63.5 points uh, with a correct P1, P2, P4, and he scored some points for Hamilton, Norris, Sainz, and as well for Albon. So um, I also wanted to give a shout-out to the players of the game that were at the track this weekend. Um, so we had Daniela Weigert, Nancy Jonasson, Marit Krajenoord, Manuel Maiski, Kaan Bayran, Maya Rowe and Manon Clement, who were all at the track during this weekend. And, well, what a race they have seen. I mean, that was quite a weekend to be at the track to see. Well, I mean, I guess they got wet a little bit, but uh, I don't think they bothered with that. I mean, um, must have been must have been great to see this weekend live. Oh, completely agree. What a weekend to be able to to watch. And uh, that must have been really exciting for all of them to be there. The Dutch GP is now on my bucket list because it just looks like such a fun vibe to be there. So I'm sure they had a blast. Yeah, plus this weekend it became apparent that you also don't need to choke on, on orange uh, flares. Uh, I didn't see any, to be <laughs> honest. So that's uh, true. I think that's an improvement too. That's true, actually. When uh, when Max crossed the crossed the the finish line there, I was I was looking for it. I went, okay, here we go. Where's the smoke? I didn't see it. Yeah, and even if they, you know, if you you, you do the the race is over, that's one thing. But uh, I would just be very. I remember when we were in Canada and when it was raining and some people put up an umbrella. That was also extremely annoying. Um, mm -hmm. So I didn't. I was looking at that too. I, I didn't see a lot yes. of umbrellas there at the race either. So that's a good thing. I guess they banned those too. Or at least they should. 
I know when we were at, uh, Anton, you and I sat just a little bit away from each other. And in the row that I was sitting at, I had the same thing. People would put umbrellas up, but actually those that are around you would tell you to put the umbrella down because it would impede your view in some cases on the track. So I don't know, maybe depending on where you are, um, maybe you're not allowed to have umbrellas depending on where you're sitting. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I would definitely, if I was in the organization, I would, I would, I would ban them. Um, yeah. <laughs> Agreed. I I I just I completely agree with you. Yeah. Uh sitting there you, you don't want an umbrella in front of your uh, in front of your face when you're trying to watch. So back to the scores and uh with um yeah with 68 points being the the highest score this weekend there's no new high scores because you need at least 87.8 points for getting in the top 20. So we're skipping high scores and we're going straight to the standings and I will inform you that there's no changes to number one, two, and three. So Tobias Jolie from France is still on first place. He has been since Baku. He scored only 36 points this weekend. Um, so his lead has shrunk back to only 7.3 points. Uh, Jesus Diaz from Uruguay scored 49 points. So he's gaining on him a little bit. Um, and uh, the gap to number three is uh, 16 points. On P3, we still have from Lebanon, Philip Hovayek with uh, 33 points this weekend. And um, yeah, the scores in general were not that high. So the points were quite close together. So there's not been that many changes. But let's have a little bit of a look at the three of us. I touched upon it earlier. And um, Samantha, you thought that you wouldn't have the highest score. But out of the three of us, you did have the highest score, actually. You scored 41 and a half points. Really? Yeah, really. <laughs> you went with a podium of Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton. Um, but uh, yeah, of course, well, you got those 25 points for, for Verstappen. But you scored a decent amount of points uh, overall, given that the average score was 39.6. Uh, you were the only of the three of us that actually outscored the average. Um, also, got to mention, you scored a single point for Albon. Uh, because you had him on P10, so that gets you one point. I must say, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> Out of everyone, you were P170 this weekend, um, and actually, oh, so I moved up a bit. <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, that was your score just this weekend. Um, your overall score, uh, you were on P124 uh, after the race in Belgium. You're now on P122, so you gained two places. And Maeve, you scored 37.3 points this weekend. Um, so just a bit behind Sam, you had a podium of Verstappen, Hamilton, Perez. Um, so actually you scored the 25 points for Verstappen for Perez because you were only one place away from P4 where you actually finished. So you're scoring half of the points. So you're scoring six points. Uh, you scored a few points for Norris, who you had on P4. You scored some points for Sainz, some points for Piastri, and you had Albon on P9. So you're getting two points for that. Wow. I'm actually, that's better than I thought. So um, I know it's not that amazing, but I am, I'm pretty impressed with myself for that. I feel like normally I'm further away. So I'll take the 37 and a half or 37 points. 
Yeah, and you're also moving up in the standings with that because you were P440 last time out. I do need to mention you started playing a little bit later than the two of us. So you started uh, with the Spanish Grand Prix, yeah. I think. So you're moving up on, from P440 to P423. So you're actually gaining decent amount of positions with that. And it's really good. Very nice. I still got some time uh, after summer break to try to... My goal is to try to break above the midpoint, so... We'll see if I can do it. Well, I think you... It's you, definitely doable. Yeah, exactly. Um, myself, I only scored 34.3 points. I had a podium over Stappen, Perez, Norris. Um, but uh, yeah, Perez failed me again. Um, I did score actually the point for Ocon because I had Ocon on P10. Wow. So that's reason for a very, very, very slight celebration from my side. Um, <laughs> I um, moved from P101 um down to p105 so i don't know not that happy with it but i'm still ahead <laughs> of sam which uh, which is what counts <laughs> i will say perez i always put on the podium because i'm like he's in a red bull he's gonna be on the podium and then it sounds like same as you like he just lets me down week after week um so maybe i'll learn my lesson for next time yeah, don't get me started. I tell myself that each time, and then and then next time I put him on the podium again, and then again he doesn't make it. But well, at least in Belgium I did have him on P two, and he finished P two. But uh, but yeah, I, I do miss out a lot of points for that. Well, I think this is the perfect time to give once again a shout out to Ajit uh, because we talk about drivers letting them down and still being faithful to their picks. I believe that Ajit had Leclerc winning. No, that's this weekend. no. He changed last oh. minute to a oh, he Hamilton win. It. He oh wow! Paid. Yes, I right. But where? Here's the big question then, because I don't know. Um, tell me, where did he put Leclerc? That is a good question. Actually, I was, I was, I thought you were going to ask me where did he finish, and 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 I had an answer to that. But I'm going <laughs> to check now. We can we can ask that next. <laughs> well, I will say this. We always tease lightfully uh, Ajit in terms of his picks because he always try his strategy, I will say in, in mind, his strategy is always to do something that's a little bit different because he believes that if that is right, he's going to capitalize on a lot of points. And I will say this, you, you go into, especially over the last recent races, yes, Max has won. Uh, but the rest of the podium has been has been quite different. And there's mm. been several races where we've seen that nobody has had the podium right because it's it's like who would have chose not not a lot of people obviously would choose Gasly to be P three. So maybe he has the right idea in mind. It just hasn't worked yet. <laughs> well we'll see. We'll tell for a Jeet. It's a good idea, but pretty bold to put anyone besides Max in, in P one. Exactly. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I stay safe because uh, at least with P1, I think I think most of us do. Yeah, so Ajit actually had Leclerc on P4, just behind Verstappen, who he had on the third place. But um, yeah, he finished with only 11 points. So that means he, well, he, he wasn't last. He wasn't one place before last, but he was second place before last. So yeah. Um, do wonder. Way to go, Ajit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do wonder, like, what would need to happen for Hamilton to win the race and for Max to be finished P three? Yeah, imagine what would have had to happen for that to ha for that to uh, for that result to come to fruition. 
I think you need uh, quite a few parallel universes before you get to that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, let's let's go over the um, all the scores, or sorry, all the finishing positions, and let's do the quiz where I'm going to ask both of you one by one to guess how many people had each driver predicted in the correct place. So mm. the first one, and Sam can kick it off. So Verstappen finished winning the race. So the question is, out of 511 people, how many people predicted Verstappen winning the race? Okay, uh, before I even say that, before I even give my answer, let me just say, awesome number for this weekend, 511 people. That is really great. Uh, but I am going to say that a large majority of you chose Max. So with that being said, I'm going to, I'm going to say 485. It's a good guess. I was, I think I'm going to guess, and I will say, like, I feel like if you've done this before, you know, um, historically how many people tend to guess Max on top, but I think my guess would be like 490. Well, yeah, Sam does have some experience. You're right, but that <laughs> doesn't usually mean, mean she also wins. So, um, <laughs> actually, may if you take the first point because it was 494 people. Wow, very so, close. Interesting. Yeah, very close. So you only were four people away. Let me uh, just as a small intermezzo. So, who do you think uh, the other people, the remaining people, picked as the winner? So, which driver after Verstappen do you think was picked mm. most for winning the race? Uh, it's interesting because I wonder if people pick people they actually think would win instead of Max, or are just like, oh my god, I love Leclerc. I always have to put him as P one. Um, my guess is Alonso. There's actually I think that's wrong. There, yeah, there's actually nobody that Alonso had Alonso on. P well, in the beginning of the season, there were quite a decent amount of people, yeah. like most of the Spanish people. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, people have lost faith a little bit in Aston Martin. So actually, no, there's not been anyone who picked Alonso for winning the race. Sam, what do you think? I I was, to be honest, I was debating between. Mercedes or McLaren mm. yeah I'm going because I, I would say it's either going to be Hamilton because traditionally or historically he does well mm -hmm. um, on this track but of course no, with Norris and McLaren's recent success one could argue that they would be up there as well but I'm going to lean towards the veteran and say Hamilton that's a very good point. So other than Ajit, there were 10 other people who had Hamilton on P1. So there was 11 people with Hamilton on P1. That was the top. Wow. It's actually a pretty big majority. Yeah, that's, that's quite a decent amount of people. But Sam is right. Hamilton uh, does, I mean, the previous two editions, he was, he was quite good at Zandvoort, uh, considering the other races in the season. He, he, he came pretty close to challenging Max last year. So there's six people left. There were four people who picked Perez for the win. There was one person who picked Norris, and there was one person who picked Leclerc. Which I think I don't know who it was, but I I, I assume is going to be Ajit's favorite from now on in the game. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, so actually, yeah, the amount of people picking for Stappen, I think the percentage is 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 going up with each race. I mean, I remember in the beginning of the season, it was about um, eighty percent of people picking for Stappen. I think that uh, percentage is uh, slowly moving towards a uh, hundred percent. 
But um, as we were discussing earlier, the tactics of Ajit, of course, if we're going to have that one race where somebody else wins and you do have that person on P1, you're probably going to win the weekend. But uh, Zandvoort wasn't the one. So we move to P2 Alonso. And Maeve, you can start this time with guessing how many people had Alonso on P2 out of the 511 people that played. Hmm. So... <sighs> It's a good point because going back to what you said earlier, Aston Martin was not looking great before the break. So I feel like a lot of people, myself included, kind of lost faith in Alonso being on the podium. Um, man, I'm going to guess uh, 205. That might be way too high. No, I, I think that that's a that that's a fair guess. I'm going to. I think because I think it can swing either way. I'm going to. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go well, maybe not necessarily that opposite. I'm going to go <laughs> low just in case, but. Yeah. I'm going to say, I could be really shooting myself in the foot here, and likely am. I'm going to say, thirty three. Well, 33 is the number he's waiting for. But um, yeah, no, uh, actually, uh, Maeve, your reasoning was really good because it's true that like before summer break, uh, yeah, the, the Aston Martin been slipping off a little bit. Um, so yeah, uh, that means Sam's going to win it because actually, uh, previous one, Maeve, you were four away from the right number. Now Sam's four away because it was only 29 wow. people. 29 people. Wow. I'm surprised. Me too. Yeah. I'm surprised it's that low. Yeah. Me too. Wow. I thought maybe it would be like 100 or something, but I guess not. All right. Well, you've got time to recuperate because we still have uh, yeah. we still have nine questions to go because we're also doing <laughs> okay, fastest good. lap. Uh, we're first going to go to Gasly, um, P3. Now, we already know nobody had the correct podium, but, um, but uh, did anybody had Gasly on P3? Sam? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I would. I would also say no. I don't know if we, if we have to do a different answer, then I'll say no, one. No, you you are allowed to choose the <laughs> oh, same we can, answer. Oh, we can. Okay, yeah, then I will. will I will fight. say no one. Yeah. Okay, that's that's a clever move because there was indeed nobody. So that means you <laughs> shared a point. So it's uh, yeah, it's still tied, and you're both at. Well, I will give you both a point. So you're at two against two. We move on to Perez on P four. And it's Maeve who goes first. Hmm. I feel like, it, I mean, I'm trying to have like an educated guess for all of these, but in the end, I think it's just complete uh, random. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 80 people. Sam. Yes. I'm going to say 52. All right. Maeve takes the point because it was 117 people. Wow. Okay. I always get, I always okay. get him wrong in my guesses <laughs> i think i always lowball it yeah well i don't know i guess now by now because in the beginning a lot of people would put him on 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 one of the top spots but uh, i think by now a lot of people are dropping him a little bit lower in their picks uh, which like we said might be something we need to do also for for the italian grand prix but we'll get to that later let's move to the highest finishing or uh, yeah the only finishing uh, Ferrari, which was signs on P5. Sam? I'm going to say 72. I'm 
Then I guess below that at 50. Point goes to Maeve again because it was 42. So you're only eight away. <laughs> wow. It's two against four. Some, some people still have faith in Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we go to Hamilton, who finished on P6, starting from P13. Quite a quite a good result from him. How many people put him there on P6, Maeve? I think 75. That's a good guess. I was going to go around that as well. Um, really? Yeah, I was, I was literally thinking the 70s. So, okay. Um, then I am going to say I'll go up. I'll go 80. Shouldn't have gone up. Should have gone down. It was, it was 40 people. <laughs> See, Maeve, I told you. I, it was... Historically, I, I don't do so well in these games. I should at this point, but... Yeah, so it was 40 people less than the 75 that Maeve came up with. So it was 35 people. Wow. 35. Oh, wow. I guess okay. decent number. amount of people. I think like all three of us had Hamilton a little bit higher. Higher. Yeah. yeah. I actually had him on P5. We move to Norris on P7. Sam. I'm going to say a low number here. I'm going to stick to the 30s as well. So 34. Yeah, I think I think I put him higher. I actually don't remember where I put him, but I feel like people would have placed him higher. So I'll go 25. You had them on P4 yourself, by the way. But, oh, um, yeah, okay. Just like Hamilton... 35 people had him on P6. Also, 35 people had Norris on P7. Wow. So, Sam, you were only one away. That point goes to you. Woohoo! I get one. <laughs> Let's see if you can get another one. So, Albon <laughs> finished P8. Uh, Maeve goes first. How many people actually predicted Albon on P8? Hmm. I think... Uh, I'm going to guess kind of a low number because I feel like P8 is kind of random so i'm gonna guess 17 hey I, that's another good guess i think i'm gonna go with 21 sam again one away from the correct answer 22 wow nice very wow. nice yeah you're <laughs> dialing it in yeah it's four against five now so um so there's there's still oh, a chance to get back um we go to piastri sam how many people had him on p9 37. Wow. Okay. I was going to guess much lower than that. Um, yeah, I'll guess uh, 27. Okay. I'm, I'm really quite surprised by the answer myself because it's quite a bit higher, actually. There was 66 people wow. who had Piastri on P9. Yeah, it's quite a lot. Wow. Um, so actually, the point goes to Sam. So it's five against five. I'm coming back. <laughs> We've only done nine, but you had both had <laughs> Gasly correct. So, yeah, we're going to move to P10, Ocon. I already gave away that I had Ocon on P10, so at least one person. Maeve, how many more? Oh, man. I feel like this is another really random one. Um, I'm going to guess I'm going to do 17 again. Okay. I... I typically put Ocon on P10 uh, usually as well, and I didn't this time. Um, mm. But I am going to stick to, I don't know. I, I feel like the 30s are, are 
kind of a, a I keep I keep going back. To, yeah, I keep going to that. So I'm going to stick to that. I'm going to say 34. A good, safe guess. Well, that does get you the point. Uh, that was actually quite a lot of people. <laughs> it was 69 people. So there's actually a ton of people who are putting wow. the Alpines on the P10. So there's actually, if you look at it, there's a lot of wow. people who have either Gasly or Ocon on P10. It's like this this position where a lot of people just, I don't know, put one of the Alpines. <laughs> um, it also so, shows... Yeah, with 34. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, it also shows the faith that people put in Alpine still uh, because historically this this year they haven't they haven't done so well um but you know in some cases they still manage to to get somewhere on the grid and and especially Ocon he he has in um he to me he he's always been at least this year uh my p10 so i can see why people are choosing them to be <laughs> to be in that spot yeah i think my issue is whenever i'm choosing okay, the top 10, I'm like, okay, well, there's four teams that I feel like should be in the top 10. And that's already like, you know, the majority of the spots. And then there's some wild cards. And then, uh, yeah, that's how I always end up, you know, getting it completely wrong. But it does make sense that a lot of people would put Alpines in the P10, like just able to get a point. So do you remember who you did put on P10? Um, I, did I put Albon P10? No, you had Albon on P9, actually. So, oh. yeah, you got, but it, it, it was Alonso that you put on. Oh, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Nice. Well, to be honest, well, I, I had Alonso I chose on P9, him for P9. So. Yeah. Oh, so you, so Anton, so we, did we have, uh, we typically um, are quite similar in terms of our picks. So you had P9 for Alonso. I had P9 as well for Alonso. I'm guessing our, our podium was different, definitely. <laughs> Yeah, your podium was uh, Verstappen, Norris, Hamilton, and my podium was Verstappen, Perez, Norris. Yeah, right, which makes sense. Um, yeah. So, did we have anything else that was similar? I, I think yeah, we had actually both Ferraris. Uh, both of us had uh, Ferrari on P six and P seven, Leclerc P six mm. and Sainz P seven. We had that uh, similar, and and also Alonso. Yeah, like you said, plus Verstappen. So yeah, there was a couple of things we had uh, in the same order. You had a, a bit more bit. faith in Hamilton than I did, but uh, I, had, uh, <laughs> I had P3 and P4 for both McLarens and then Hamilton. Moving on to fastest lap. And Maeve, this is the... Oh, man. Uh, the, your only chance is to, to draw because it's six against five. Um, but, um, but actually, Sam needs to go first in guessing. So you can you know, play it tactically and... and, and see whether you go lower or higher. So Sam, how many people had um, Alonso taking that fastest lap? I think this is going to be a low number because of because of the recent woes that Aston Martin has had. So I am going to say 12 people. Yeah, that's a good All right, take your time. Oh eh? man, yeah, the pressure the pressure is on. Um I'm wondering if 12 is even too high. I'm trying to remember how many people put him on the podium um i'll guess yeah i'll guess 11 nice with that you draw because there was only three oh, wow. people wow game yeah. time decision worked out for me yeah a and... lot of a lot of people expected for stopping to try and take that uh well I yeah mean, I, but uh yeah they had to of course alonso took that uh, fastest lap when the conditions were still dry 
Um, it's actually Hamilton that has the lap record at uh, Zandvoort. So I guess a lot of people expected Verstappen to really want to take it. But uh, um, yeah, 441 people had Verstappen. And then um, there was a lot of... <laughs> there was even someone that had Sargent taking the fastest lap. So you can, <laughs> there's, you know, oh. there's a bit of everything. I guess it's I like this that. bonus point that everybody just puts... Well, not everybody. I guess some people take it serious. But uh, yeah, you see a bit more variation on the on the fastest lap. But three people had the fastest lap. I even wrote down who they were. Those were Daniel Liu from, uh, from the US, uh, Tracy Sini from Samoa, and um, Aaron Etourneau from France. So yeah, three people who uh, who took that one point. And with that, you guys draw. So I suppose the only way to sell the score is to um, invite May for another uh, podcast, for another <laughs> for another race in order to uh, yes. yeah, to actually uh, yeah, get a winner out of this because uh, yeah, I don't know. I always get slightly disappointed for uh, for two people drawing this game. Well, I do have a bone <laughs> I can come up with a bonus question in order to Sort of, I was uh, waiting. For, I was waiting for you to say that. Yeah. I know how much you love the question, right, so right. I was we'll waiting a for him to come out with then. a bonus round. All right, yeah, here so we go. How many people do you think had Lawson in the top ten? I am going to give. A, I am going to give a slight uh, heads up. So yeah, uh, you know, uh, there's a decent amount of people that make their picks quite a bit prior to the actual yeah. practice day. So, you know, anybody who had Ricardo, let's say, earlier on in the weekend already in their prediction, let's say you put Ricardo on P10 mm-hmm. and you don't change your prediction, that means it will automatically change to the driver that replaces him. So that means that okay. anybody who had picked Ricardo a little bit earlier on uh, also picked Lawson. Um, but there was also, I, I will tell you that, that there was a decent amount of people who did pick Ricardo and then after hearing the news, went back to their picks and and still changed it and took him out of took him out of the P in the first ten position. So yeah, um, maybe a little bit of a silly spin-off, But uh, how many people do you think uh, in, ended up predicting Lawson finishing in the first ten positions out of five hundred eleven people? I mean, there's so many aspects to this question. This is like serious game theory here. Um, oh man. It also, I don't. I just started going first. I, I is it my turn to go first? Or? Yeah, it's nobody's. St- well, actually, it is. Yeah, okay. because Sam was for fastest lap. So you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can go first. Uh, man, I kind of really, going it's, first. It's not really going to count anyway. <laughs> I'd rather have okay, you on good. again. So, so just okay, you know, okay. just go for it. Just purposely lose so I can be invited back. Um, good idea. It's a good idea. <laughs> That's what I'm going to say after I get it wrong to make myself feel better about um, the wrong answer. But I'm going to guess 21. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go eight. Well, you shouldn't have given all the disclaimers, Maeve, because you're winning it. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. No way. (laughs) There's actually people. That's crazy. Yeah. So uh, there was two people who had him on P7. There was. Four people who had him on P8. There was 11 people who had him on P9 and 28 people who had him on P10. So there was wow. 45 people in total. Wow. That's a lot of faith in, in, a, in a rookie's Seriously. Uh, first race. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Well, I mean, 
I feel like a lot of people on the P10 always sort of like throw out just uh, like a, sure. a, yeah. But you gotta realize that actually with that position, even though P10 is only one point, if you predict a driver and that driver finishes either on P9 or on P8, you're still getting a point for it. So, you know, uh, you can put somebody that is unlikely to finish in the top 10. Uh, but um, yeah, I don't know. I always try to uh, put somebody that I think that might also finish P9 or 8 because you're still taking away a point from it. But um, but uh, yeah, I guess everybody has uh, slightly different tactics uh, to this game. So uh, I'm definitely not uh, going to claim that uh, I would know how to play it because I'm not even in the top 100. So uh, there we are. <laughs> okay, so I think that wraps up this weekend's coverage. Next week, we head to Monza. Very exciting. Lots of unpredictability in Monza uh, in terms of history. What are your thoughts? Maybe let's start with you. Wow, great question. I would, I don't have any real predictions, but I would love to see Ferrari somehow pull it together and get on a podium. I feel like they really need that morale boost. And I think think if they actually could could have like a clean race where every all the strategy goes right they don't mess up any pit stops i think they could be on a podium so i don't know that's that's my wishful thinking if that actually happens i'm not sure but we'll have to see yeah if, i i if, agree if with any you. of the two i would say signs because he hasn't had a podium yet this year um but uh, it would indeed be good to see uh, ferrari finishing high sam what would you like to see yourself i'd like to see albon win <laughs> no but i i think that uh i think you're absolutely right Maeve. i would love to see ferrari on the podium i think they really need a morale boost and this would be the right opportunity to do it in monza um but overall i would love to see uh i would love to see piastri on the podium too i'd like to see yeah um Piastri on the podium would be really cool. I would love to see Albon up there because he's just been fantastic. And uh, that would be, I think a lot would have to happen, but you never know. Uh, it is, like we said, Monza. And let's see where Mercedes is at. I think that this could be a race where we could see at least one of those drivers on the podium as well. The upgrades have benefited them too. And Aston Martin, Alonso right now, Maybe he takes his eighth podium for the year. Anton, what are your thoughts? My hot take's going to be that one of the McLarens takes pole. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Wow. That would be something. You know what? They're, they, they're coming close. They, I think they would be the biggest competition to Verstappen to take pole. So. Yeah, and we all, I guess, are wondering whether we... Still going to see a couple of unexpected results for the rest of the season. So I guess most of these podcasts end like that with us hoping for something unexpected to happen. But I guess uh, that's really what it is. And um, I think I've said it before, but, you know, because of Red Bull being so dominant, I feel like the one race that we're going to get, and I'm still claiming we're going to get one this year, the one race that Red Bull doesn't win is, is going to create a lot of excitement where, you know, whoever it may be that is going to take that win, if it happens at all, but uh, it's it's going to make it uh, a very big climax. So um, for all those very disappointed that 
it's not as an exciting season for the win. Um, well, let's just hope we're going to see something that, that spices things up and that gets us all shouting our lungs out. We agree with you. Well, Maeve, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. I think we both can collectively say that. And uh, we would look forward to having you on again, where you and I can do another battle of the scores and, and see who comes out on top. But, uh, but I look forward to continuing to see your content. And, um, and I, I think that's basically it. Anton? Well, for those listening that haven't yet uh, given us a rating on whichever platform you may be listening, um, please give us a rating and, and follow us. That would definitely help us a lot. And um, yeah, just building on what Sam said, find Maeve's Instagram page or TikTok page, whichever platform you are on. And um, yeah, well, we hope to have you back on uh, soon. And um, well, at least we are glad that we don't need to wait very long for the next race. That's, a, that's definitely a positive thing. I guess uh, uh, we're all excited for the second part of the season to get further under, uh, underway. Absolutely. Thank you both so much for having me on. Oh, it's been a pleasure, Maeve. I, we, we really enjoyed having you on. And uh, love, love, love your thoughts and, and the points that you make. They're, they're, really, they're really good uh, points to, to have during a conversation. So definitely enjoyed it. Thank you. I appreciate it. You guys are so on top of it with tracking all the different like stats that are happening during the race. I feel like whenever I'm watching, it's like... There's too many things to keep track of, like the number of pit stops and, you know, how many tires people are chasing on.